Welcome to Living Well, a podcast for Morneau Chappelle. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. In this Living Well Extra, we have more of my conversation with Mark Tewksbury. Mark won an Olympic gold medal in 1992. He was among the most famous athletes in the world. He was on the cover of Time magazine. It was the ride of a lifetime, but he says it felt like his life was out of control. I was 24 years old. I'm in the prime of my life. I'm physically fit. Um, And I was terrified that my story would absolutely be told in a way that I didn't want it to be told or wasn't ready for it to be Mm -hmm. told. And you know, it's funny, Mark. Sometimes I look back and I think, oh, if only I was able, you know, at that press conference after I won in 1992, just to say the words out loud, like, I'm mm-hmm. gay. And But I realized in 2018, when uh, some of the figure skaters won medals, uh, both Canada and the US, and, and they were openly gay, and it was the first time we had openly gay athletes on the medal podium. And that was 2018. So I realized 1992 was just too early. But it meant that I had a secret story that I was always terrified that would get mm-hmm. out there and that I would have no control over to your point. So what was that coming out finally like for you uh, in terms of the, the was, uh, how healing was it for you or was it? Well, it was a real interesting process because I came out first to my parents, um, which didn't go very well. They're, they took a long time to kind of absorb the information and accept it. Small town, Alberta folk, lovely people, but just not in their universe at all. Um, so that didn't go very well. And then I told my agent at the time, uh, my sport agent, and they basically said, thanks for telling us, but we're going to pretend you never did mm-hmm. because um, it puts us in a really difficult position because actually you're in breach of contracts because you could bring ill will against the companies based on that news. It's hard to believe mm-hmm. that being gay would be that severe, but in 1992 and three, it was the scenario. So after that, I, I, I really felt like I had to do something to save myself. And that's when I decided to do something very radical. I, I immigrated to Australia. I bought a, I literally, um, applied to become a permanent resident. I was accepted. I bought a one-way ticket. I'll never forget that. A one-way ticket Mm. to Sydney thinking I was never coming back. And it was in Australia that I had some room to be anonymous, to explore my life. I went back to university. I studied political science that included some gender and sexuality courses, which was unbelievably empowering because Mm. there in front of me in black and white was language that Mm. described clinically how I was feeling or who I was and how I fit in the world and I found my voice and it was that experience in Australia when I came back from there to Canada in 1996 it was the beginning of me coming out publicly in 98 Mm. when I did that it was great it was it was the beginning of, of a healing process you know the day I came out was like oh I felt like the world had been lifted from my shoulders, but it would take another eight to 10 years before the tape in my head that used to say, you're gay, you're bad, you're gay, Mm -hmm. you're bad, from years and years of conditioning from external voices uh, would stop. Since then, of course, you've been very active in inspiring others to open up, to accept themselves. Uh, You know, you've done so much since uh, you got to the top of the Olympic uh, mountain. So what's the response been like from people you've been working with and talking to and the audiences that you've been talking to? Well, it's been so incredible. It's been over 22 years since I came out. And I think that it's long enough now that we can actually see 
the environment is different for the next generation. And that's one of the proudest things that, that came of that whole experience for me was to pave the way to make something better for, for the, the next generation of athletes. So um, I've, I've just been overwhelmed. You know, at first it was a lot of people that were still closeted and were similar uh, at a similar place that I was in the journey that um, they weren't really ready to talk publicly about it but they needed an ally and like mm -hmm. debbie my coach was for me i was able to be for lots of people behind the scenes but now it's much different it's much more public um, we even have a backstroker uh marcus thornmeyer just came out um this year so it's like wow the next generation of me is openly gay <laughs> and his teammates support him and nobody thinks anything about it and you know that's exactly what i hoped would have happened um yeah. fr from from this trajectory of, of sharing the story because if you think about it mark if you're asking people to you know go to the olympics and be their absolute best it's really hard to do that when you've got this internal struggle mm -hmm. and fight going on so i, I just think it, it makes sense it, it's actually helping people be their best well, I want to come back to the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games that have been now postponed for a year, as far as we know. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens, I guess, we'll, just like with the rest of the world. Um, but we've done episodes of this show uh, before, too, where we've talked about school, uh, young kids going back to school or, 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 you know, any kids going back to school and how that can be a safe place for them, whether it's because of domestic violence or abuse at home, uh, because that's where they have their safe people, their teachers. And you said a very similar thing about your coach. And, and you're um, uh, having something to be passionate about as being a protective factor for you. Um, that's been pretty severely compromised by, the, I would imagine, the postponement of the Olympics. How do you think this is impacting athletes? Boy, that's a really great point you just raised. You know, the community aspect, the safe place aspect. I hadn't really thought about it that much. I've been really, you know, listening to athlete stories that have been focused a lot on the physical training journey and and the challenges of of taking a step back um and and readjusting to a whole extra year i mean it, it's so funny we just say oh the olympics are postponing here but like <laughs> what that actually means it's, it's people's whole lives right? it's huge <laughs> it, yeah and it's it, it's so fascinating because there's there's some people that you know their sport it's the first time they're ever in the olympics so they're mm -hmm. on hold to become an olympian and they're so excited there's people like Catherine pendrel a mountain a cyclist um that it's she's been to four games and she's having to extend her life a year to hang on so it, depending on where you are in your own pathway um there's so much going on for the athletes, but I think the ones that are, are doing really well, they're, they've talked about the physical and the mental adjustments. And I think that's the sign of a, a real champion because it's that integrated human being that becomes a, a champion at the end of the day. It's not just the physical training, but it's how do I deal with this as a person mentally? Um, but great point. You know, I think Zoom conferences to a certain extent kept people connected, but that safe space mm. where you can just pull your coach aside and say, I need some help, that's gone. And, and for sure, that's taken a toll on the athletes. So what can then Team Canada and the Olympic Committee do uh, to not only maintain the connection with people, but to ensure that that um, that everything stays up where it where it should be physically, mentally and otherwise, and that and that people don't drop off or get lost uh, in the extra year? Yeah, and that's the challenge. I mean, as, as an Olympic committee, for sure, we've at least been able to access some funds to give some direct funding to the athletes to try to support them through this period. Um, we're in major 
communication with all the different sport federations to find out how their livelihood is through this pandemic to make sure that they're able to service their members. Uh, the Olympic Committee is interesting. We actually only sort of have the, the athletes of Canada as the Olympic team for about three weeks. The rest oh, of the wow. time, uh, the swimmers are with Swimming Canada, the rowers are with Rowing Canada. So it's the sport federations that look after sort of the day-to-day lives of the athletes. Mm-hmm. And we're the more umbrella organization that fields the team and takes them to the Olympics. Of course, because the enormous marketing brand power of the rings, we are also the sort of fundraiser and distribute those funds to all the different federations across the country. Now, what would you recommend to uh, the athletes, wherever they are in their career, uh, who have now had their their ultimate goal postponed by at least a year so far, uh, in terms of your to go back to your visualization skills of moving that goalpost maybe a little bit further? How can they maintain hope? How can they continue to be resilient? Yeah, and I think you know you, you nailed it. I think that you really have to bring into play all of those softer skills that you've learned over the years as an athlete. And so for me, for example, um, I learned not just visualization, but power words to, to sort of um, direct how I wanted to feel. I wrote a script for the day of my race in Barcelona of, of how I thought it would unfold and what I wanted to see in my mind's eye. And I read that like for five months straight. And incredibly, mm. on the day of the race, in a way, it, it kind of unfolded unconsciously the way that I'd hoped it would. So back to some of those fundamental skill sets, um, power words, script writing, visualization, meditation, relaxation, just to make sure that you're keeping yourself in a really healthy state of mind. Do you still have that script from Barcelona? I I do. I absolutely do. Yeah. Have you ever shared it before? Would you be willing to? Yeah, no, for sure I, I would. And uh, if you give me two seconds, I'll go run and get oh, it. Oh, you have it handy. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually written in a book. So I, sure. I, really, I really shared it with people. I'll be, I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. This is why we have edits, right? Edits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, on top of this, like I had this script of how I wanted my race to be, but I also, when I was... Um, in, in the weeks leading up to Barcelona, we went to Florida for a training camp. And I, the, the humidity, the heat, I, I was sluggish. I had the worst training maybe of my career. And everyone around me started to panic, my coach, because this is not how you want to be right before the Olympics. But I used the same skill. I wrote a script. I, I read it that just sort of helped me maintain a base. It said things like, during this difficult period of training, you'll remain positive. You'll, you know, you just trying to create a mental state that would get me through it. So I, I, I've really been able to take this and adapt it. And, and I've even used script writing to sort of help with the process of coming out or how I would talk to my parents, how I hoped things would go. <laughs> Unfortunately, the way I visualized the discussion and the reaction was not exactly what I had imagined. But I think it, when you do this, it at least gives you a sense of, of groundedness and stability, even if the outside world doesn't really respond how maybe you imagined it would mm-hmm. so um <laughs> it started with some affirmations so I, I just started with some things like i wrote i'm fast i'm strong i'm fit i'm gutsy sort of the things that that built my confidence and at first i thought it was kind of it's kind of weird to do this when you write things like i'm gutsy it, it feels a bit weird but then powerful words just kept coming and i really got into mm-hmm. it and i wrote the script. I see myself focused in the warm-up. 
I feel fantastic and spectacular. We're called for the race and I feel excited and empowered. I walk to my lane and smile. I'm ready. I swim perfectly. I look at the scoreboard and feel monumental. I perform my best ever. I am proud. I have won. And and simple, but Beautiful. the words like focused, empowered, ready, best were all capitalized. Mm-hmm. And my brain just kind of kept reading that over and over. And the funny thing was, right before my Olympic final, I'm usually so intense. And I had a little smile when they introduced me. And people watching at home went, wow, Mark just smiled. And, and they clicked <laughs> that something was different. And, and sure was, I dropped 1.2 seconds and, and, of course, won that race. I think the most inspiring thing about this for me that not a lot of people realize, especially young people, is that they have all these other external scripts that have been internalized into their mind. They repeat back to themselves all the awful things that everybody else said about them. But then at some point you find out, oh, I get to write my own and I get to internalize my own script. And that can actually override all those other voices. So thank you so much. So well, thank you, Mark. That's really well said. That's exactly it. It's like you take control of your own script. It's so incredibly empowering. And it 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 actually allows your imagination. It it, it's a it's a vehicle to allow your dreams and what you would like to see in the world actually become a reality. And you have it within you to do it. Mark Tewksbury is an Olympic hero, a national treasure. He's a LGBT advocate uh, and a wonderful public speaker. Mark, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure, Mark. Great interview. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Living Well Podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan Project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well Podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford. <laughs>